Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves you need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250 plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 521 of Accelerate, the sales podcast, a record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 521. We provide a timestamped breakdown of this and all conversations. So if you're listening to the show, you hear a point you want to go back and refer to later, it's a great place to go. Quickly scan the list, find out where you need to go in the episode to check it out. So that's andypaul.com forward slash 521. Joining me on Accelerate for the first time is Errol Toker. Errol's the founder and CEO of Truly. Now he's a kindred spirit in that we both love talking about sales productivity, which we've done at length and talk about how everyone measures it incorrectly and what a difference it would make if we could accurately measure sales productivity. That's our common standards of measures of sales productivity. So I invited Errol on the show to get his thoughts about this. So let's jump right into it. Errol Toker, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. Thanks very much uh, for having me over. Very excited. Hey, I'm honored to have you on the show. So. Opening question, and this is a standard question I ask all my guests, is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's no shortage of them. <laughs> but you get uh, one. You get one. You know, I, I think the biggest challenge uh, that is facing sales reps is the fact that sales is, the nature of sales is ch- changing underneath them. I think, uh, you know, as sales starts to move inside, um, a lot of these sales reps are starting to ju- they're starting their career very early on, uh, learning the practices and, and, and tools and tips and tricks from a generation that came before. And so what they're trying to do is fit into an existing sales process that's been around for quite a while, while the process itself is shifting away from uh, you know, top, focusing on top of funnel, getting pipeline coverage, uh, and just kind of selling through it to one which, in which sales uh, 
prospects are far better informed than they've ever been. And uh, what they have to do is kind of take the sales hat off and, and be much more uh, engineering-like in their approach to finding solutions. So I think that's the most challenging thing right now is the, the bar is shifting while a lot of these up-and-comers are just still trying to meet the bar. So they need to become more subject matter experts. If they're going to be helping the customer engineer their solution, as you will take your term, then there is a requirement, it seems like what you're saying, is for you know, more subject matter expertise, domain expertise about what the customer is, what they're doing, as well as product and services you sell. That's absolutely right. And I think the, the real big challenge is, and I can attest to this, I mean, at the end of the day, I started my sales career uh, fairly late, you know, being an entrepreneur, coming into it, I had to kind of learn things from scratch. Uh, it is really, really difficult to walk into somebody else's home and kind of offer them guidance when you know very little, right? And right. so people looking for consolidation these days, they're looking for business transformation. How do you know uh, how to transform a business when you've never run your business or your own practice or your own sales team? And so I think that is, that is so, so difficult to do. Um, and I think there's a lot of themes you address on your show, bringing this to the forefront around coaching, et cetera. But fundamentally, it's about how do I add value right. uh, that goes beyond the product? And, you know, that has always been problematic for new salespeople. I, I think back to myself when I first got started out of college. I looked 12 <laughs> and I was outselling you know, six at that time, sort of sixty to a hundred thousand dollars, sometimes as high as two hundred fifty thousand dollar, you know, mini computers, like small mainframes right. to to mid-sized businesses. Working with these entrepreneurs, these guys are in their forties, fifties, built up successful companies. And that's in retrospect, I look back and say, Why, why, why did they ever buy from me? <laughs> because again, I look twelve years old. Um but they did, right? And I, you know, it's right. so hard to go back and deconstruct. But I think one of the things was having that that value orientation that you that you talked about, which really sort of comes across as also the willingness to learn, right? So that you can yeah. add value. And I think that that I was able to communicate that that service orientation, that willingness to learn, that that got me past the yeah the age barrier. But um, very interesting. Well. So before we jump into it, we're going to have a conversation about sales productivity today, but um, and maybe a little bit different angle on it than what a lot of people think. But before we do that, uh, tell us a little bit about what Truly does, your company. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Truly is a sales communication platform. What we're building is uh, what we call the system of record for conversations. Uh, and what we mean by that is um, when we look at uh, CRM, right? CRM and Salesforce play a lot of different roles, but uh, the promise of, 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 of its promise is really in the idea that there's a, central, uh, a single source of truth for everything that's happened between a sales rep and now increasingly an entire team of sales engineers, solution consultants, et cetera, uh, around the customer. And so uh, as sales becomes more complex, we're more connected talking to customers from more and more places it's harder to actually understand who spoke to whom about what, when, um, with all these different channels we have between cell phones, text messages, web conferences, et cetera. And so truly is a single layer that brings together phone system, dialer, et cetera, and then gives you one level reporting uh, 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 frame of reference across the entire customer journey. So reporting on what? 
reporting on activity from a perspective of who spoke to whom, when, about what, as I said. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, how much time are we spending in this stage of the opportunity and with which customer uh, which or, or which uh, uh, contact role? So that level of reporting and then going even deeper into actually what is being said in the conversation um, lightly. Okay. So you're recording and transcribing the calls and doing searches on keywords and so on? So what's interesting is, you know, we're uh, we're a little bit short or we're, we're staying away from that for a little bit. We're okay. not as uh, as eager to get into the AI train just because, uh, you know, in our experience, uh, and we'll get, probably get back to this talking about our sales process and my, my background, but um, at the end of the day, what we see is that uh, sales reporting is lacking a lot of what we call objective truths, basically data points that you can be 100% certain in. And what we observe in the AI space is that it gives you a lot of interesting stuff. But um, if you can't have 100% confidence and look at a transcription and, and know what to do from there, um, if it's only the starting point, it's just too early for us. We're still trying to help co companies understand how many phone calls they're having. Um, <laughs> so an, they, object, an objective truth then is, is, is it a, a quantity? Uh, well, the way we think about it is, and we, we have a nice little ebook on it, but it's basically something that uh, makes that, that, that you really cannot um, uh, refute, right? So the way I think about it is in reporting, um, think of a phone call, right? So when you report on phone calls, I mean, a phone call is not a unit of measurement, really. You don't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be one minute long. It could be 30 minutes long. It could be a negotiation call. It could be a cold call that goes to a voicemail, right? So um, the, the, the benchmark that I like to think of it as, um, when you're driving your car, you have a dashboard, you're going 60 miles an hour. You know what 60 is, you know what a mile is, you know what an hour is. And so at any given time, you can decide on what to do right there and then several times an hour, right? And so... Right. Um, that's how we think of a, a, a unit of uh, a, an objective truth is that two people kind of look at a number and understand exactly what it means. And hopefully, if the sales process is set up right, can will we'll, are likely to take uh, uh, this, uh, a similar action. Uh, the second part is a hope, <laughs> but the first part has to hold true. Okay, so so give me um, an example from let's say one of your clients in terms of how they're using using your services. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a great example from a client would be, uh, I'm sure you're familiar in the, in, uh, in many different sort of phone systems dialers, there's this concept of an out, a call outcome or a disposition. Right. Um, so one of the challenges that a, a customer had, and they'd had dialer software for over eight years, um, once we came in and sort of gave them a, a lot more uh, visibility into what was happening under the hood, what they found was that um, across 80 reps, just and that's just a subset of the overall team, across 80 reps, they didn't have a common definition of what a decision-maker conversation was, which is fascinating because it is possibly the most important outcome that you can really think of sure. uh, in, the, in the top of the funnel, right? And so who's a decision-maker? What is a conversation, right? Is it, is it the length of time? Is it, uh, is it the subject matter being discussed? And so how do you manage a process in which 40 uh, different people think one thing and 40 different people think the other thing, right? <laughs> and you don't know who, who fits into that, into each bucket. So that's an example where uh, we would use uh, uh, more quantitative metrics through uh, analysis mm -hmm. to help them sort of come to a common definition. So it, 
Um, and, and to give you an example, my favorite is, uh, to me, a conversation is one where the, re- the, the customer has spoken at least, right, the customer, not the rep, the customer has spoken at least a certain amount of time um, because that's the only way data flows in, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Interesting. Uh, and that's an example. So who's who sort of a typical customer for your services? Absolutely. So we're looking for uh, larger revenue organizations. So we go beyond most most people are sort of focused on top of funnel SDR when it comes to the when it comes to the call tracking space within uh, within sales organizations. We are looking for companies that have at least 40 people within any team in the revenue organization. So that's 40 SDRs, 40 account executives, 40 uh, account managers, because what we find is that these uh, these objective truths sort of become exponentially more valuable uh, the more people that you have in the system and and the more room there is for error across these uh, these different organizations. So we're, look, we're we're looking to work with big teams that have established processes um, and are trying to get a, a real handle on what's going on so that they can start optimizing their their workflow. Got it. Well, a topic we're going to talk about today is, is productivity. And, you know, obviously you're, you're touching on that with some of your objective truth, but I guess sort of a, <laughs> a, a broader question is, is do we as a profession, as a sales industry, do we have a handle on what sales productivity really is? Or it, it, to me, it seems like it's, it's pretty squishy. I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I think there are a lot of things going, as I said, from the, from the first bit, um, there's a lot going on in sales right now. And, uh, productivity is about understanding input and output. And so, uh, the first thing that we do when we go into a customer organization, uh, and you know, customer successes are, is our, is our lifeblood. I mean, uh, that's a really big thing for us as a company is from the very beginning, even though we were a tech company, we looked more like a consulting company our first two years because we said uh, in this age, it's about selling outcomes, not product. And right. So let's start with the outcome and work our way backwards. And so when you're talking about that with a, with a prospect early on, right, it's a uh, it's there's. It's very it's it's very interesting. It kind of if you can get them to open the kimono and talk to you a little bit, you can tell that there's short term goals, midterm goals, long term question marks, and they don't really know what they're starting from from an outcome perspective that success looks like. So if that's where you're starting, the idea of measuring input to a an output we don't understand is impossible. Right. right? That's all productivity is input output matching. So I think it's squishy for many, many, uh, many reasons. We may not cover, we probably won't cover them all in this segment, but uh, I think that that's where it starts with is uh, inputs are one thing, but I think increasingly people are less clear on what the outs, outputs will be in this new sales economy, right? In this new economy where right. sales is not about just dialing more, but about doing real uh, hardcore solution selling. Well, and that's, Right. So I think that sort of starts as sort of a baseline is that right now you look at, gosh, you go to the websites, people selling sales tech and sales automation and, you know, tools to help sales. And the word productivity is thrown around pretty casually, but it's, it's basically, you know, synonym for activity, mm-hmm. right? We're going to increase your productivity, meaning we're going to able to make more calls, send more emails, which aren't related to outcomes at all. Yeah. And well, another another thing is when we think about it, right, um, there is uh, it's very clear that there's only so much activity is doing for you when everybody is kind of increasing the order of magnitude of that activity every five years. So, you know, we went from one on one emails to 
you know, uh, 10 to 100 emails a day with mail merge to now Marketo level email sending from 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 reps. I mean, is there any better indication that maybe things are not quite working <laughs> from the productivity side than an order of magnitude changes like that? Well, sure. Order of magnitude changes in inputs. And I've not seen anything that says that there's been a corresponding increase in outputs. I, absolutely. That's what I mean. If you if you've grown your inputs by a thousand and your outputs haven't gone up by even a hundred, then that's that's troubling. That's concerning. And it's you you have to ask the fundamental question that you just asked, which is what is productivity? If it's not growing the top of the equation, it has to be growing the bottom of it. Well, I think part of the trouble we have with with sort of measuring it is oftentimes the companies that people are using as examples or as the benchmarks to measure are companies that are high growth scale companies or companies scaling quickly yeah. where they don't have the dynamics of well, I'll call it just an ordinary company, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Every, everything is different and, and you kind of lose, um, I mean, mar- mar- this has been a big thing in marketing attribution, but you, you certainly, uh, they're called unicorns for a reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. I mean, it's always been the case, let's say in the startup world, in the tech startup world. Yeah. I don't think the percentage of, we'll call them unicorns, but percentage of those companies that, that find the right product market fit, whether through deliberate intent or luck or whatever, but be able to match it up and then scale quickly. I think of all the companies being funded, the, the rough, my understanding is the rough percentage of those who actually succeed, meaning become viable companies that sustain you know, growth on their own, hasn't really changed dramatically. You know, if you look yeah. at a VC's portfolio, they're going to have about the same percentage of winners and losers, losers they've always had. Yeah. Well, and then it goes back to what is a self-sustaining company? I mean, for us, we always try to, uh, and this is why we like uh, late stage companies, as a, quite frankly, from our perspective as a software company, we like companies that sort of have um, <laughs> uh, established business models because we, we know that we can partner with them in the long term. They know, they know what they're doing. And the, uh, the example I love to give is, uh, top three customer for us. If you go to their webpage, it's a public company, uh, hundreds of sales reps, a very large um, workforce and, and, and growing. If you go to their contact us page, there's only two fields. <laughs> there's only two fields because what they've done is they figured out their business so well that for them, they can qualify on that level. And they know exactly who's going to come through the door. They know who marketing is sending them and they know what their sale, the, the, the uh, sort of, like I said, a, I don't want to uh, misuse it, but the, they know the objective truth of what their reps are driving towards, which is uh, we need to help this exact class of business achieve this exact set of outcomes. And uh, and yeah, that's why uh, that's, that's that's why we we uh, we like to focus on more established businesses. Well, let's I'd rather have people listening to think this some you know sort of esoteric discussion about productivity. The fact is that it's really important for the individual sales reps to understand their productivity. And I think this is one of the places where, where we've really fallen short is we've not given the individual sales professional the data, the contextual and the context to understand, are they being productive or not? And, and I don't think you want to confuse productivity with achievement and quota. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's interesting uh, with me uh, from a product perspective, I'm always trying to, really put myself into different contexts to figure out, you know, where in life do we struggle with this question of productivity and measurement and transparency, et cetera. And, uh, you know, after a pretty brutal start to my, uh, startup life, I recently decided to get in shape and uh-huh. I bought a whole bunch of activity trackers. I mean, right now on my wrist, I have a, a, a smartwatch. I have 
smart scale. I have a smart this and a smart that. And um, quite frankly, since my selling days kind of slowed down a little bit, this has been one of the most challenging things just trying to figure out, um, you know, how to make sense of, okay, I've done a good behavior today. You know, I've eaten well, I've done this, I've done everything that the books have told me what to do. I get on the scale tomorrow and it seems like I'm heavier. <laughs> and, and what happened there? And I think uh, it is, it goes back to this theme of, of, of coaching reps, of, of implementing the right reporting, et cetera, because this is not a short-term game, right? It's not like we tell you the right way to do something and then you see results tomorrow. It's a, it's a long game. You have to have the right tools, the right measurements, the right management all in place to to enable this productivity to go up over time. Yeah, and I, I sort of like to pose a question, which is, you know, if you were a sales rep, a sales professional, individual contributor, and what if you learned, what if you knew that you were at 100% of quota, but what if you learned that you're only operating at 50% of your productive capacity? What would you do with that information? Well, hope, one hopes that you would double your input to, well, to, to get the output, right? Sure. But, you know, we sort of come from this heritage of sales leaders. And I think you still see a lot of this today, which is, well, yeah, you know, if my top performers, if they only have to work three days a week to hit quota, then that's fine. You know, I don't care what they do the other two days. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that world's changed, right? Because, yeah. you know, if you look at it from an employer standpoint, as a, especially if you're paying somebody a base salary, is like, well, no, that's, that's not. We, we need to understand, really, if we want to understand what our overall potential is as an organization, then, yeah, we look at every, each individual's capacity to produce. And how do we optimize that instead of focus purely on this artificial quota number? Yeah. And, I, and, well, and to me, that seems to quota to me as one of the big constraints we have on a really increasing productivity. I totally agree. And, and one thing that we've, we've seen with, with clients, and again, I've, we've, we've kind of worked up the chain um, quite a bit, and, and every company has different, uh, different culture, different sales culture, et cetera. And um, in, the, in the one that you just described, work three days, take the two days off, um, what ends up happening in the long run is there, there's, there's, long, there's, there's, there's implications far beyond you know, just individual productivity there where um, you know, there's all kinds of downstream effects from how people use those two extra days separately. And when chain, you know, when, a, when management comes in and puts in a new strategy and everybody's kind of in this different habit for those last two days, everything falls off the rails and they have to do a restructuring, et cetera. So I think, um, the, the direction it's going with productivity is it's not just about increasing output. It's about understanding agility and it's about understanding um, you know, how do we keep things flexible enough to make it customer driven while also, uh, you know, kind of get having the same flexibility and agility that our engineering teams are, are always going after and that our manufacturing companies are going after. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I know a, a company that that is you know, doing close to two billion dollars a year in sales. That company I actually worked with them when they're quite a small company uh, to a mid mid-sized company. and. But they don't have a VP of sales or a chief revenue officer function. Wow. And they sell large, complex, enterprise-type um, systems as well, some consumer-oriented systems, uh, direct-to-consumer systems, and so on. But, but the flexibility and how they bring people together to work on projects and programs and, and so on is that very definition of, of agility. So you don't have that conventional sales silo, if you will, it's yeah people are brought together for you know programs where they can make the biggest contribution so when you think about i mean that's a good point andy so when you think about uh the direction things are heading right so 
on the one extreme, you have uh, hyper-transactional sales. So let's forget the extreme, the hyper-transactional and the hyper-enterprise. Um, as the sales reps are coming up with five, six years uh, under their belt in kind of the system that we have today, right? People are sure. seeing a little bit of top of funnel, down of funnel. What does sales look like 10 years from now? Um, how, how will that company that you just mentioned change? Well, or maybe the question is, how would companies that have the more conventional structure, how do they change? Right? Because, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, the way we currently have sales structured makes no sense for a number of different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we have, let's say you have a, um, you know, a product or a service, you know, is there a better way to structure how you acquire and retain customers than the way we currently do? You know, if we say that's really our primary function, you know, so to acquire and retain customers, is there a better way to structure it than we do now in order to help? And really, and I think that that's really sort of the key question because we're, despite all the innovation that's sort of happening, you know, with the predictable revenue model and so on and so forth, yeah, we've got more specialization, but have we really fundamentally changed sales? And I, I would argue we haven't. Yeah, I was going to ask of all the companies that you meet, and I know you meet a lot of uh, revenue leaders. You know, are they are they thinking about kind of trying to figure out how we squeeze ten percent more out of out of what we have to hit the number, or are they having more fundamental questions about okay, where's this thing going to be in in two three years if our if there's ten more entrants coming into our industry? And our customers are getting more confused and overwhelmed with messaging. You know, fundamentally, how do we drive uh, our customers to make the right decisions? Yeah, I don't think enough are thinking about that. And, well, I, think that, I, I, and would, I think, and I think, what we're seeing is we're seeing this trend to think that what's going to make you better off from a sales organization is the technology, as opposed to how do we make the people more effective? Right? There's, we got this trend to say, look, we can substitute, and this is not to downplay the importance of AI, because I think. There are certain applications of it that any salesperson would be crazy not to want to use, but are they able to use it in such a way that helps them become more effective when they have to actually talk to a customer, right? Yeah. To make that connection, to build the trust and the credibility and so on. And it's not clear to me yet that, that enough sales leaders are really saying, yeah, we need to use it for that as opposed to how do I just get more? Exactly. Right? At the top level, how do I just get more? And we're, we have too much of this more orientation. And it's not to say there aren't some incredibly thoughtful, smart people that are, are, are thinking more long-term. There are, definitely. Um, but not enough. Because I think it's, you know, it's, there's a certain promise that you, you think is sort of inherent in this technology. They'll make things easier. And you can see, you know, reps already gravitating to some of these newer tools because they think it's going to take the pressure off them to learn something. You know, if I can have my AI system while I'm on the phone with a prospect, you know, sort of do real-time transcription and continually sort of nudge me to say, this is what you should say now. This is what you should ask now. Well, then they feel like it takes the pressure off them to acquire this domain expertise. Or they can blame it on that. Right? Or they can and blame point. it on that. But, and, but I think it's more, it's, you know, hey, this suddenly becomes easier because it takes the pressure off me to know everything because I'm working hand-in-hand -hand with a system that's going to just... But it's, it's one thing to get it you know, fed a question. That's another thing. You know, first of all, you just don't want to repeat it. And secondly is, is, you know, how do you ask that question in a way that's authentic to you that, that, you know, how do you put your own spin on it that plays to your strengths to be able to, again, connect with that, that buyer? 
to me, I mean, I think we, we, we call this internally the mechanization of sales and the attempt to mechanize sales of saying, do this, ask this question, walk through this process, et cetera. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's parallels to, to, uh, other, other parts of the, 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 the business. Um, you know, it's, but at the end of the day, what's, what's funny is what makes sales sales is that it's about human to human connection. And it's not because people want to, I mean, nobody wants to talk to a salesperson. Let's be honest here. <laughs> you know, nobody actually wants to do it, but the, the, where a salesperson can add value is by saying, you know, when we go into an organization, there's usually three, four decision makers. They can't have that discussion internally. It's not their core competency. They need a salesperson to come in and they love the salesperson for doing that. Right. Right. And, and that, and that starts though with, uh, with, uh, taking the, you know, taking the mask off and taking off the, this and that, and basically saying like, look guys, this is going to be hard. Uh, that's why I'm here and I'm going to lead you through the step-by-step because I know what success, I think I know what success looks like to you. And if you're bought into that, let's do that. And the problem with this mechanization AI is it's basically saying that, you know, we can mechanize, we can automate these things that are about human beings. Well, if we can automate it, then we don't need human beings. Yeah, if, if what we have to do at that point is take humans from both ends of the equation. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a, by definition, a human process. And so, uh, you know, if you want a calendar app that helps to schedule something, of course, right? Like, no question that is better. That's exactly what you did with the show. It was a, it was a breeze and a pleasure to schedule it. But uh, if you tried, we have to let our salespeople be imperfect, like our customers, but we need to make them real stewards of the customer journey and and help them uh, look more like consultants, right? Yeah. And and you can't do that with a, with a script. It is it is fundamentally impossible, right? Well, it's like it's like breaking the laws of physics. You cannot be uh, mechanized. You can't be a robot and a human being. <laughs> you can't do both. Well, I think that and this is this is sort of sums up a lot of what I feel is is that actually. For the reasons you talk about, and ones I've discussed here on the show too, is is that the future of sales is really about becoming more human, not less. You know, if you want to, with the advent of all the, I said, great tools and technology and automation that that exists that we all use, or you know, <laughs> many of us use in in our selling, is that you still have that requirement to differentiate yourself from somebody else, and the ability to do that is based on your human interaction with someone, right? Your sort of uniquely human sales behavior, sales habits, and so on that you apply to the, the, the process of helping the customer make a decision. And, you know, one of the things I see is, and I ask people all the time, well, okay, this sounds like a really cool app you've, you've developed, but how does it help the customer quickly gather the information they need to make a decision? And I think that's the only thing that matters. In and the it should be the world. only thing that matters, right? It's the it's only best. thing that matters, you know, uh, um, on our side, as I mentioned, we, uh, we, we were, we were fortunate to, to really focus on customer success from our earliest days. And, you know, if I'm ever fortunate enough to write a book, that's basically all it will be about is, is customer success. But, uh, you know, we're all out there trying to talk about, you know, we're talking about customer acquisition and churn and this and that. And at the end of the day, customers really only churn for two reasons, right? Uh, they either went out of business or you were unable to change their business. And sometimes the two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it is the most selfish thing in the world to make your customer in all of their craziness and their customization and all those different things. It is you have one goal 
I truly believe in sales, and that is to make that person or that group of people uh, successful, right? And and sometimes they don't know the right definition to that, and sometimes you don't. But it has to be a, a successful outcome that drives a five-year relationship, a ten-year relationship. And if you start there, um, you know what you'll find is that the mechanization piece just really kills it. Really kills it. I agree. I agree. Well, with that, that's a great way for us to end this conversation. We'll have you back. We'll talk some more for sure. So, Errol, um, thanks for joining me. Tell people how they can find out more about Truly.co and, and you and connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, as you said, go to our website, Truly.co, T-R-U-L-Y.co, and uh, you'll probably have my face pop up because, like I said, we're obsessed with customers and, 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 and talking to them, um, even at the founder level. So. Um, if you're looking to better understand what's happening on your sales floor rather than trying to take what's there and do it 30,000 times more over, um, you know, I think uh, we probably should talk. Excellent. And do you have a just connect to the website or any other way to connect? With connect you? to the website or, uh, you know, you could just email me Errol, E-R-O-L at truly.co. And, um, you know, if, if, if you listen to this podcast, we probably are going to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining me. Friends, as always, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow. We'll have another great episode of Accelerate for you. Until then, if you take a moment, as, as always, on the app, if you're listening to this podcast, take a second, pause, subscribe, leave a review. We really want to hear from you about what we can do to make this a better experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.